0: Good to see you. If you would kind of allow me the privilege of blessing those uh, that will be watching and be present in worship at 1025 in the house uh, at True Worth and uh, in the sanctuary online and also those worshiping at 1150. Uh, we're recording this worship time here at nine o'clock this morning. Uh, there is a situation, uh, kind of emergency, that I have to be physically present. I can't send anyone else. I have to be there. So uh, we're recording this at nine o'clock and Everyone's going to be here to deliver and encourage, so I just want to let you know that. If you're a guest, you're new here, thank you for coming. Uh, regardless of the worship time, whether you're here at 9 o'clock or you're here at 1025 or 1150 or first watching online or you're in the sanctuary, uh, I'd love to meet you sometime. Uh, I'd really would love to do that, but after this worship time, at 9 o'clock, I'll be running out of here. But, man, a lot of folks are going to be hanging around. I hope you'll visit with people and encourage one another and get to know one another. So uh, thank you for that. So those that are here at 9 o'clock and everybody here in worship, invite you to find your Bibles. You're going to need your Bibles today. Uh, If if you're a guest or new, you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. They'll bring one to you. If you're in the sanctuary, there's one over there, and right there in front of you. You can find it right there in the pew online. I know you'll have time, same way, uh, at Tree Worth. We're in the book of Colossians. Uh, We've been kind of plowing through this book. This is week 8. Week 8, this little book we are are studying. Uh, We have two weeks left. We got a little three-week something we're going to do, and then we're going straight and directly into the fall. Now You got message notes there. Once you kind of get situated with that, while you're getting situated, one thing: when you walk out of worship this morning, uh, you will notice some little tables and at the welcome center, little cards that have elder, deacon nominations. If you call this your church home, we're entering that season of the year where we're nominating elder and deacons as well lay leaders in the church. And there's there's qualifications on the back. I mean, just don't plop a name down there. We want you to look at the qualifications, pray through it, you know think about it and see what God will lead. And then if you're so led, you can bring it back next week, you can get online, let us know about it, but uh, we would covet you know, your, your thoughts and, and ideas. And also a few few months ago in worship, I asked you to do this pr- as a practice that before any message was taught that you would stop for a second and you would say, God, uh, please speak to me this morning. And so I'm going to ask you to do I'm going to ask you to prepare your mind and your heart to receive what God, not, not to the person sitting next to you, but you. We're going to talk about families. What do you need to hear God say to you this morning? So would you please just kind of ask God to, to speak in, in your own way, and invite you to do that. Just take a moment. God, may the meditation of our hearts, and I pray the words that come out of this mouth, will be in accordance with your will and your desire and your heart for your people. May it be so in Jesus' name, amen. We're in Colossians chapter 3. We're going to do a lot of reading this morning. I'm just telling you, a lot of Bible reading, beginning at verse 3. 18. Here we go. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, Be repaid for their wrongs. And there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Now, how many would agree this is a difficult text? I mean, right from the beginning, when I said, wives, submit to your husbands, all the women checked out. <laughs> said, I'm done. Don't want to hear another word. When it said, children, obey your parents. All the kids have to put their earbuds in. Right? I mean, I got better things to listen to than this. And then we get into the slave thing. What's this slave thing all about? I know some men are going, well, he's talking about wives again. I know what he's talking about. Right? (laughs) So what do you do? You know, what do you do When, when you get a text like this? It's so challenging and so difficult. You're you're in your Bible time. You're at home. You're doing your 15-minute chair time like you do, right? We all do 15 minutes at least every morning in the Word before you get out the door. So you're doing that, and you come across this. What do you do? You go, man, man, what was Paul smoking when he wrote this, man? <laughs> I mean, he, he has some family problems. I mean, he's got issues. He's projecting all this stuff. He's working out his stuff on us, right? Or, or what was he thinking? What do, what do you do? One of the reasons during the summer, if you're new here, every summer, uh, past I guess three years now, we pick a book of the Bible, and we just kind of walk through it. We just kind of plow through it because we've learned that during the summer, it's usually the more serious Jesus followers that come. It's people that are here that their faith really matters to something. It's important to you, and so you really make an effort to be here. So we're not only trying to give you content you know, in the study of the Scriptures, we're trying to help you cultivate better Bible reading skills. That's what I hope has been happening for some of you this summer. It's been kind of opening your eyes, a different way of approaching how to read the Bible. and cultivate. So I want to share with you, you'll see there in your text there about managing a difficult text. I don't want to share with you some ways that I see that people handle a text like this. This is what I experience people doing, and then I want to share with you what I think probably is, is the better, more prudent way of, of approaching this text. Uh, the one thing I hear people say is, well, I disagree with that. I'm just moving on. I don't believe that. That's Paul's opinion. Uh, that's doesn't. It, it's meaningless. I'm just going to put that little verse aside, and there's nothing in it for me. I see people do that. I see some people say, "Well, ho! I'm going to take this literally, exactly how it says it. Wives submit, 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 right?" But often, what the literal word, the meaning, what you think the literal meaning is, it's not really right there in the words. Sometimes the literal meaning is just kind of hidden right underneath the surface of the words. It is. In the 19th century, this text was used to say slavery is okay. The 20th century, and even the 21st, today, it's used to say that women cannot be in leadership in any place in the church or in the home. It's used that way. And that's not what it's saying at all. See, sometimes the literal words, if you just look at the literal words, for, for the words for what they're saying, you miss the whole idea. Such as, if I just tell you, uh, hey, I'm so hungry, I could eat a horse. Now, right here, you know what I'm talking about. But if I'm in the south of France, guess what? They eat horses. <laughs> Has a totally different meaning. So you have to understand about what, what's going on with the text, what does it mean to look at it at a literal standpoint. Thirdly, as I see some people, they'll look at a text, and they'll go, oh, I'll just keep reading. You'll just keep reading until there's something that you like. So you just keep reading. Oh, wives, no, nah, husband, no, nah, children, father. Oh, 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 oh. Oh, verse 2 of chapter 4, devote yourself to prayer. Oh, I like that. So I'm just going to focus on that. That's what I'm going to talk about. That's what I think is true. Yeah, I can buy into that. And so let's say I did that this morning. Let's say I did that. I just kept reading all that. And I got to verse 2, devote yourself to prayer, be watchful and thankful. And I did the whole message on that verse 2 of chapter 4. My inbox would be filled by a few folks tomorrow morning going, hey, pastor, uh, what about the wives and the kids and the slave thing? You didn't even touch that. But that's what people do they don't even touch that and they move on the fourth way which I think is the more correct way is to look behind the text look behind the text is there something going on here that I can't see is there something going on that I with my own eyes can't understand and I believe that's the situation now what do we know we know that the Apostle Paul is a sold-out follower of Jesus Christ. He has been converted to Jesus, his body, his mind, his soul, his mouth, his lifestyle, his habits. He is totally committed to following in the ways of Jesus. We also know he's a Roman citizen. He knows all about Rome. He knows about the entire empire. He knows about the culture. He knows about the lifestyle. He knows what you and I talked about in week one, that when Julius Caesar over Rome is assassinated, that Rome falls into chaos. I mean, it collapses into chaos. There's civil disobedience. There's economic ruin. There's poverty. There's threats of armies on the border. They're in chaos. I mean, it's just this great big—it's it, Venezuela, or you name whatever. This I mean, just and a, this man named Octavius rises to the top. He's a general, and he puts a quietus on the problem, and the Senate raises him and changes his name to Augustus, and he becomes the new Caesar, the emperor over Rome, and they make him at a divine status. And so Augustus, he says to the whole empire, he says, listen, guys, I see what's going on. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to lead us out of this mess. I got you. I'm going to give you something called the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. The only thing you got to do is give me undiluted devotion. I'm in charge. What I say, go. Go goes, you do what I say. You give your devotion to me. And I'm going to make you a couple of promises. Here's the first promise. I will give you security. I'm going to build the largest, most powerful military the world has ever known. I'm going to keep our borders safe. You can sleep at night. I got it. The second thing I promise is I'm going to give you prosperity. I'm going to build the most powerful economic engine the world has ever seen. It will not collapse. Every household, every family will be taken care of financially. You can count on it. All you got to do is worship me and give me your undiluted devotion. And the Apostle Paul knows that. In Colossians 1 and 2, he's pressing against this. He's kind of pushing back. He's pushing back in his teaching. Now, while he's doing this, the Apostle Paul noticed something else. That in the Romana, the Pax Romana, the Roman Empire, the way they do the family is in conflict with the Christian family. He sees what's going on in the Christian Romana, and the Roman, Roman family. So he's going to subvert, deal with the values of the family in a very kind of uh, subtle but yet subversive sort of way. Because Augustus makes a third promise, and the third promise is this, everyone, I'm in charge, you give me your devotion, and I will give you order, O-R-D-E-R, I will give you order. Not only in our nation, I'm going to give you order in your family. It's called the Romana Familia. That's Latin for Roman family. And here, when, when I when I bring up family, you got to change your whole thinking about family, okay? We're not talking about a husband and wife, 2.1 kids, a loving, nurturing environment, a Labrador retriever, an SUV, this nice little picket fence. you got to get rid of that mentality. That's not what he's talking about when it comes to family. Most of the things that you and I know about family is based on 150 years of psychology. They didn't have any of that then. And here's what Augustus is saying. The salvation of our empire, to hold it together, depends upon the family having order. The family has to have structure. And I'm going to make sure it happens in your family. I'm going to give it to you. He said, here's how we're going to do it. I'm going to take you back to something called the ways of the elders. The ways of the elders. Literally, the ways of the elder means I'm taking you back to the good old days. Anybody ever heard anybody say that? Oh, if the family could just go back to the good old days. Anybody ever say that? Oh, the good old days. That's really what he's saying. The way of the elders. We're going to go back to the way the Roman family used to be. Yeah, where real families used to operate. Now, here, when I say good old days, you know, people my age, I know what you start thinking. And older, you start thinking Ozzy and Harriet. Leave it to Beaver. Donna Reed. Happy Days in the Fawns. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Others of you are going, uh, What's that? Those are black and white TV shows, is what I'm trying to say. Right? And I mean, that, that, that's to give you an idea. The woman is in the kitchen all day long. She got her heels on, she has her dress on, she has her pearls on, she has an apron on, and she never gets anything on her ever. The dad's got a nine to five job. He's home on time. Dinner's ready when he walks in the door. He got a pension that will not fail. You got two kids that play outside all day long because they have no smartphone. They have no color TV, just a water hose. (laughs) If they have that. And some of you think back to the good old days and you're delusional. You think those were the good old days. But were they really? And Augustus is saying, I'm going to take you back to the Romana good old days. And that means the most key thing I'm going to do is I'm going to put leadership in the family. I'm going to put a leader. I'm going to make it law. There's a leader in the family. His name is the Patris Familius. Now, I want to give you a picture on the screen of what a Roman family looked like. We're going to put it on the screen. Now, can, could you go back to the, to, the, to the picture on the screen, please, of the family? Here's a Roman familia. Now, the other one, right, with the multiple people, please. Thank you. This is a Romana familia, four generations. The oldest would be the head of the household. Until he died, he's in charge. There would be a mom, a dad, Kids and slaves in that picture. And the idea is there's got to be structure and order in this family. And here's how I'm going to do it. The paterfamilia. Here he is, right here. The paterfamilia. This is the head of the house, the father of the house. This is a bust from a paterfamilia in the Vatican. I want you to notice his jaw, his eyes, stern, in control in charge don't question me I got the answers I have the power I have the authority and that's what he's trying to convey and that's who Augustus wants to put in charge of every single household to bring order to the house here's how it worked the paterfamilia this head of the household He had legal ownership over everything in the house. When he got married, there was no shared property. The wife never got her name on anything. The dad, the husband, he owned all the property. He was financially and legally responsible and obligated for everything in the household. He gets married. That wife's sole job is to produce kids. And take care of them according to his direction. And if she has kids, the dad can decide to keep them or to get rid of them. And often he does. It's called exposure. You take a kid and say, I don't think I want to keep this child. Take the child, take it out to the country, leave it under a tree. You know what's going to happen. Take the child, leave it in town. And the slavers will come pick it up and sell the kid. Before you get the term foundlings, they would find a child. A foundling is a found child that's sold into slavery. Kids had no value as persons. They weren't treated as human beings. Most of them in Rome would not live to the age of 10. Only half would live past the age of 10. Children were a commodity. They wouldn't have family camp. You don't develop your children. Your children are assets to grow up and to work in the family, in the kids, right? Income for the household. That's all they're there for. I told you last week about this little term, kind of a vile term called pederasty. That's where little boys can be sexually abused and no one does anything about it. Kids were not protected in the homes. There was no protection like what you and I think about. No protection. And the head of the household, the paterfamilia, he owned the kid. I don't care how old you are. He could arrange for your marriage. He could arrange for your divorce, even if you didn't want it. He owned all your property. He could sell your property in a heartbeat. You act up, your smartphone, your car, your chariot, it's gone, baby. And you have no legal recourse, it's done. Even if you, you, have, even if you paid for it, it's done. And if you were a slave, we're not talking about racial slavery like you and I think about in America and Europe. We're talking about conquest slavery where the Roman Empire would go down and conquer a nation to expand their territory. And they would have captives and they would bring them back. And if you're in the army legion who went and conquered this nation, your legion could keep all of that you captured and sell them, put the money in your own pocket, except for the kids. The children automatically went to the slavers. There was actually an industry called the slavers. They would kidnap kids and sell them. It was just a known practice. And... There were so many slaves. I mean, some will say at one point in time, 34% of the Roman Empire was made up of slaves. It was the engine that kept it going. At one time, somebody in the Senate said, we need to take a census of all the slaves to find out how many they are and make them all wear the same sort of garment. Someone said, no, that'd be crazy. If they find out how many of them there are, they'll overtake us. (laughs) No, don't let them know. And slaves were thought of as villains. They were evil. They weren't to be trusted. They were morally vile. They were repugnant. They weren't even like human beings. You could cage them if they didn't behave. You could starve them to death, no problem. You could chain them, whip them with chains. There's sculptors all over the Roman Empire. I couldn't show you these. I found some. I went but it, It's just too vile. Of slaves that are beaten and whipped with chains and they have these sculptors this is how you treat a slave and slave this is how you'll be treated if you don't obey now this is the family welcome to the family welcome to the Romana family and this system's been in place for 75 years It's just the way things are. Nobody questions it. The women don't raise a hand. The kids don't say a word. It's just accepted. This is what a family looks like. And then Paul shows up and goes, Hey, there's something here not right if you're a Christian. But he can't just go out and say, Hey, listen, he's a Roman citizen. We got to get rid of slavery, he'll be killed. And if he says too much about this paterfamilia, the order structure, he'll be wiped out too. So what does Paul do? Very subtly, he writes this little letter to communicate in a coded message right beneath the surface that the Colossians would understand the message, the Christian message of family that he's trying to teach. And that's what's happening here. Now, to understand this text, we're also going to look over to Ephesians Five and 6 because we see almost a mirror image of this text in Ephesians written almost the exact same time these letters went out the door at the same time and a one little page letter called Philemon that some of you have never even looked at before and I'm going to show that to you in a moment so you might want to have your finger right there in Ephesians hold it in Colossians, we're going to go back and forth with that context let's reread the scripture Wise? Submit yourselves to your husbands. But that word submit doesn't mean obey. That word submit does not mean less than, inferior to your husband. It actually means respect. Respect your husband because your husband, by law, has all legal recourse over your household. You have no power in the courts. you got none. Nothing you can do about that. But your husband does. Respect your husband because he will back you in court system. You want to respect him because he's got all the authority. He has all the power. But then I love what he says over here back in Ephesians. Same time, same little letter. Look, men, what it says in 521. Husbands and wives, submit to one another. In other words, in a marriage, in a Christian marriage, respect is a virtue between a man and a woman. You both give it to each other. Then it goes back to Colossians at 18 verse, wives, submit yourself to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Wives, respect your husband, not like what Rome says, but how Jesus says. Not what Rome, not what the world says, but according to Jesus. And then this next verse, in verse 19, he addresses the men. Now, please remember, men, the head of the household had all the authority, he has all the power. He is the big kahuna. Paul doesn't even address that. What did he say? Husbands, love your wives. What? The wives are going, what? You need to realize, in a Roman marriage during that time period, uh, it was not expected that a man and woman would have love for each other. The only job a woman has is to crank out the kids, crank out the kids, crank out the kids. And if your husband loved you, that was just a bonus. That was a gift. But you just accepted. Your marriage was probably arranged. It wasn't about you. But boy, if you had that, whoa. Whoa. And then he says, hey, husbands, love your wives. And don't be harsh with them. Don't be controlling. Don't be domineering. Don't be that guy (laughs) who's in charge over the head of your household. Don't be that guy, he's saying. Don't do that. And then back over here in Ephesians, look how he puts it in another way. Chapter 5, verse 25, husbands, there it is, love your wives. Here it is again. Just as Christ loved the church, he gave himself up for her. And the husbands go, okay, okay, Paul, tell you what, Paul, it's a bitter pill. I'll try to love my wife, okay? I'll I'll try to do that. But now you're telling me to do what Jesus did? He sacrificed. He died. You're asking me to be willing to do that for my family? Really? Children, verse 20, children, obey your parents in everything. Not out of fear, not out of some sort of obligation, of control, but it pleases the Lord. In a family where a man is operating in the right way, the dad man, just so pleases God. And not only that, over here in, in, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, he connects it to the worship. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Hey, this is how you honor your father and mother. It's the first commandment, the promise. It's part of your worship. And then... He goes right back to the dads again. He, well, he, he just doesn't let up on the dads. He mentions the dads twice, the women once. In fact, he mentions them a third time when he brings up masters. He says, hey, fathers, uh, don't embitter your children. Uh, they'll get discouraged. Now, to understand what it was like, what kids experienced in a household in this day, I'm going to show a quote from a philosopher Written from the exact same time this is going on. I'm gonna put it on the screen. This is what's happening in the Roman family. Can you put that, Dionysus uh, of Haliconosis? Here it is. The lawgiver of the Romans gave all power to the father over his son. Whether he thought proper to imprison his son, whip his son, beat his son, put him in chains, keep him at work in the fields, he could even put his son to death. Even if your son is engaged in high public office, even if he is one of the highest magistrates in the entire city, even if he is celebrated for his zeal for Rome, if you're a dad, your son is under your heel. He is under your authority and your control. And Paul says, don't do that. don't embitter or discourage your kids. And then he talks about slaves. Up here in verses 20 through to 25, 24 and 25, Paul can't do away with slavery, so he's going to try to transform the relationship. He says, "Hey slaves, if you're a slave and you're a Christian, let's put it another way. If you're an employee and you're a Christian, if you're an empl- if you work for somebody else and they pay you, and you're a Christian. Whatever you do, do it as if you're working for God, not for them. Because there's going to be a reward, verse 24. There's going to be a reward because you're really serving God. You're not serving them. Then it says in verse 25, end of that chapter 3, anyone who does wrong, anyone, not just slaves, anyone who does wrong, uh, you're going to be repaid. You're going to be held accountable. And there's no favoritism. What? What? Slaves, masters, boss, and employee, no favoritism, none. You're going to be held accountable. It goes on Masters, verse 4, chapter 1, chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair. Hey, you just can't treat them the way you want to. Hey, bosses, you can't treat your employees just the way you want to. You're going to be held accountable. Hey, you think you're the head of your house? You think you're the master of where you work? Hey, you got a master in heaven, and his name is Jesus Christ, and you will be held accountable to him for how you treat people, human beings. Amen. And then I love over here in chapter 6, back over here of Ephesians, in, in the same way, Paul kind of hits it from another direction. He's consistent over in verse 7. Hey, slaves, hey, serve wholeheartedly. Serve like you're serving the Lord, not people. Hey, serve, hey, work like you're serving God because you know the Lord's going to reward you for whatever good you do, whether you're a slave or a free person. And masters, verse 9, chapter 6, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And there is no favoritism. He is Lord over both in the same way. Now, here's the deal. If you're a little church in Colossae, and you got your families, and you're hearing this, and you start changing how you operate as a family, and you start changing how you treat your employees or your slaves, word is going to get out. And you know what the word's going to be? Man, they're doing something that's radical. This whole family thing is being totally treated with the word called love. L-O-V-E. You have introduced love into the family. And Paul's saying, "You better watch out." That's why I said down there in chapter four, verses two and three, "You better watch out. You better get ready. People are going to notice. You better be praying. You got to be ready to answer. Ready to answer, because when people notice you're leading your family differently, they're going to ask questions. You got to be ready to tell them not just why you're a Christian, but you got to tell them why you're leading your family." with love, and this is what I think Paul is saying. This is the crux. This is the heart of what he's saying. In any home, in any family, when the head of the house, whoever that is, when the head of the house has a face-to-face encounter with Jesus Christ, and you become filled with the love of God. And you start treating people in your family the way God has treated you. A house becomes a home. And a business becomes a family. And everything changes. This past week at Family Camp, I had some conversations with some kids. Summertime should be the most fun time for kids, right? I mean, carefree, carefree. No school. Go swimming. Sleep late. Have a little part-time job. Put a little extra economy. Get gas in my car. Go driving around. Go and see all my friends. Hang out with my friends. stuff. Hey, where are you going home? Are you going home tonight after family camp? Are you going home? Where, where are you headed? Uh, I hope not. Well, you, mean you hope not what? I hope I'm not going home. What's going on at home? College students. Best time of their life. No school summers. Out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to have independence and everything. Hey, listen, you coming home for Thanksgiving? I don't think so. How come? Well, I want you to hear this, parents. Your kids, they need more than structure and order and rules and a thumb that controls and holds them down and directs them in a certain way, they need to know they are loved by you. By you. By you. The Scripture says, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not self-centered. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It does not dishonor other people. It doesn't delight in evil. It rejoices in the truth. It always protects. It always hopes. It always trusts. It always perseveres. Love never fails. And then the Apostle Paul writes at the end of the hey, when I was a kid, <laughs> I had these childish ways of thinking. <laughs> but when I became a man, I put away childish ways of thinking about family, about being a man. I put it aside. Faith, hope, and love, they're all great. But the greatest of these is love. So here's what I picture. I picture this little church of people, just like we're huddled up here right now at 9 o'clock on Sunday morning or 1025 or 1150 or in the sanctuary online at True Worth, and we come together for worship, and somebody says, Hey, 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 we got this letter. Oh, really? And we got these moms and these, these families that have come to worship, right? And... There's some of these homes where these dads just got the thumb on anything. This, this autocratic, dictatorial, just demanding, you cow down to me sort of human. And you got this wife who's just, oh, just so beat down and so whooped. And she just tired and exhausted. You got these kids. You got these kids, you know, and I don't even know they exist. They're just there for child labor. So they're all there in this room and they open up this little book. And they start reading this letter. And I can hear a wife going, Hey, hold it. Could you read that part again? Husbands, love your wives. <laughs> really? I'm a human being deserving of love, really? Or a kid. Hold it. Could you read that part again about the dad, not discouraging or embittering, or having a thumb on me? Could, 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 could I hear that again? Could you please read that part? Or the or the employee or the slave who's just been beat down to nothing as a human being where they work. <laughs> hey, could you read that part about? I'm just as valued. As the boss, really, God sees me. So, what did you hear God say this morning? If you got a chance to go home for Thanksgiving again when you were growing up, would you really want to go again? Would you go? Do you want to go home right now? Do you want to go home? When you get home, is there going to be love? Or you just soon not go there? You just soon kind of go somewhere else? What needs to change in our homes, in our families? So I'm just going to ask you to sit there just for a moment and just kind of get still. pick on you. I really don't. This is the word of the Lord. I'm trying to encourage you. I want you to hear the scripture again we read last week where Paul said right before this, he said, clothe yourself with compassion. He said, clothe yourself with kindness with gentleness and humility now do you get it man now do you get it he said bear with each other bear with each other put up with each other endure forgive and he said put on love Just put it on, just put it on because it holds it all together. I'm not trying to exclude anybody, but anybody online, in the house, in the sanctuary, at True Worth, if you need to put your hand on somebody next to you, a child, a friend, a neighbor, somebody you're dating, somebody to whom you're married, I invite you to do that right now. Just kind of place your hand up on their shoulder. just ask for forgiveness ask for strength to be the man or woman your family needs you to be ask Jesus to be the Lord of your house not you